And now it's time for Dave's Disney View Podcast. Please move across your car to make room for everyone. Our podcast will begin momentarily. Join Dave as he makes his Grand Circle Tour around the Walt Disney World Resort. Dave is a dreamer and an engineer who enjoys the magic and wonder of it all. But he understands its place in history and respects the legacy that's been left. So come along and take a listen to Dave's thoughts about the Walt Disney World Resorts and see it through Dave's eyes. Please stand clear of the podcaster. Por favor, manténganse alejado del David. And now, here's your host. Hey everyone, it's Dave. Welcome to another edition of Dave's Disney View Podcast. Well, it's been a couple of podcasts since the last time I brought around some Disney news, and there's a fair amount to report, so I thought I'd uh, talk about some Disney news today and give you some updates from around the world, primarily. I think I have a little bit in here from uh, other parks, but I think Disney World is the primary focus of today's podcast. But first, before we get to that, a message from our sponsor. Hey, I have the best-kept Disney World and Universal Studios vacation secret. Did you know that anyone can rent a sweet ride and truly get around fast with your pass inside the theme parks? Mom, tell them. Well, Scooter Vacations makes it fun all day long. You or someone you love deserves the best way to see everything. So why not relax and enjoy a true express ride with your pass? Scooter Vacations can arrange it and even deliver it to you. Get around the fun way? Have as much fun getting from ride to ride as being on the ride? They fit on buses, boats, and monorails, and some can fit in a car trunk. Upgrade your experience and scoot everywhere. Contact Scooter Vacations at 1-855-WDW-SCOOT. That's 1-855-WDW-SCOOT. Or on the web at scootorlando.com. That's S-C-O-O-T-Orlando.com. S-C-O-O-T-Orlando.com. So there was an interesting piece of news that came out a little while ago, I guess it was earlier this year, that Disney acquired the rights to the Indiana Jones franchise from the uh, studios that owned it. I think it was Paramount that owned it. And uh, Disney acquired that Lock, Stock, and Barrel. So the Indiana Jones epic stunt spectacular is now a Disney-produced production rather than in conjunction with Paramount Pictures. So I found that kind of interesting that they went ahead and purchased it, and they own the whole rights to the property because now they own two very big uh, Lucas and Spielberg things in in Star Wars and uh, Indiana Jones. And uh, I imagine they'll probably try to do something to move that franchise along a little bit and do a little more with it. But the twist to that piece of news is there's a rumor going around that the Indiana Jones epic stunt spectacular over at the Hollywood Studios will be closing sometime later this year. It's a high cost to maintain sort of environment, and uh, Disney does have an intention of increasing the size of Star Wars land again, if you believe all the rumors that are out there. And the Indiana Jones show is right there on the property that adjoins where the uh, Star Tours area is and the little bit of Star Wars themed things that they have over at the Hollywood Studios. So uh, it would be interesting to see if they go ahead and they do that and close it down and increase the size of Star Wars land. I don't know what they do with the Indiana Jones franchise in that case since Disney owns it. Kind of a strange little twisting of fate. Now there's also some talk about the uh, Lights, Camera, Motor Cars show closing down as well. It's wildly successful, but you have to wonder if they're going to replace that with something else as well. 
Now, the Cars Land idea has been nixed for now. Uh, Disney is not going to put Cars Land over at the Hollywood Studios. Uh, for now. That could change again in the next rumor cycle, or again, you know, next year they could make a change to do something like that. It uh, just seems to be that that's not going to go anywhere, but it may make for the uh, Star Wars-themed land to grow out even further. And then also, kind of corollary to that, is that the American Idol experience at uh, the Hollywood Studios is going to close as well. Now, that's one that's been going on for a while, and, you know, you have people come in and perform, and some number of people that are really good and win their, win their event, uh, win their heat, basically, uh, are invited to go and perform uh, in the national competition. So there's, um, that's an interesting little twist that they're, that they're doing away with that at the Hollywood Studios. So now that piece of property becomes vacant as well. So when you look around the park, there's a whole section there. I mean, you have the Muppets Studios or really the Muppet section of the park is kind of in the middle there among all those things. So you have the uh, American Idol experience is kind of at the end of the main street that you come in and to the left. And if you go around Echo Lake to the left, you'll come around to the Indiana Jones Epic Stunt Spectacular. And if you kind of go to the right a little bit, you'll run into Star Wars land. And then more or less in behind where the American Idol experience is, is the Muppet Vision 3D attraction. And then kind of behind that is the, uh, the lights, camera, motor cars. So, you know, the, they're all kind of connected and you could probably do some things and a little rearranging or, or change the pathways to make the crowd control a little different to make it all work and uh, maybe create a larger land of some kind or perhaps a couple of lands. But I am curious to see what Disney comes up with because I think it is time for the Hollywood Studios to evolve just a little bit. Now, there's another one other connection to the Hollywood Studios I wanted to make, and that's about Frozen. Now, Frozen has been this enormously popular movie. It's remarkable how Disney created a franchise there with Frozen that I don't think they ever expected. I mean, it, you know, when you first saw it, it was a very good movie, but I don't think it would ever come out as being like this thing that just took off. I mean, it really just took off like, like wildfire. Uh, they had the, uh, the Anna and Elsa meet and greet that used to be over in Epcot. Uh, in the Norway Pavilion, and they moved them over to the Princess Fairy Tale Hall over at uh, Magic Kingdom, where you can do the Fast Pass Plus and be able to get to see them. Wait times are still extraordinarily long, extraordinarily long if you don't have a Fast Pass Plus, but you do have an opportunity to see them. Now, Disney, realizing that this is a tremendous opportunity, they put them in some parades and shows and some different things that they're putting together, and I understand that they're planning up a Broadway musical, and if you really listen to the music, it already is well-prepared to be a Broadway musical, and they're going to do more with them. During the summertime here, they've uh, had an interesting thing going on over at the Hollywood Studios where they've created Oaken's Frozen Funland at Disney's Hollywood Studios. And this is really a uh, Frozen Summer Fun Live experience. So for the summer, you can stand in line at one of these studios, and it's actually uh, a little bit over from where um, Walt Disney One Man's Dream is, and it's actually one of the studios that was unused. And they've opened it up, and you have some character meet and greets in there. Um, Anna and Elsa don't show up, but uh, Kristoff does and Olaf does. And as you go in, there's actually an ice skating rink in there as well. So they sell frozen merchandise, and they have an ice skating rink, and it's kind of cool. What a clever idea and a way to get people in and engaged and have some fun with it. Um, I'll put a link to some videos of, of that on my show notes page, and you can check it out. It's really It looks like a lot of fun. I wasn't able to make it up there during the summer, well, at least so far anyway, so I haven't had a chance to see it. But uh, it does look pretty interesting and uh, looks like a lot of fun. And I think it'd be kind of fun to go ice skating there at one of the uh, studios. And one more comment about Frozen. There seems to be a little concern among a number of people, people who really get what Epcot was all about, that the Norway Pavilion is becoming more and more of a Frozen-type pavilion instead of its originally intended cultural showcase of what Norway really is. It's becoming more of what 
Frozen is as the movie, the fictitious Norway or that area of the world. There's a discussion about changing the Maelstrom ride to being a Frozen ride. There's more and more Frozen merchandise and more things that kind of relate back to Frozen. And fewer things that relate to Norway as a real place. So it's kind of interesting how Disney has really taken this and is running with it in a way that maybe makes sense, I guess. But you need to be careful of losing the cultural identity of the real country. Now, kind of turning the story of the potential expansion on its ear a little bit, if we think about all the things that Disney is doing right now, yeah, they've kind of canceled Cars Land in uh, the Florida project. They are talking about an expanded Star Wars land. They opened the expanded Fantasyland, which I like, but still has sort of a meh factor to it. It doesn't have the wow factor. And then you look across the, the road, and Universal Studios is getting it done. They've created a Harry Potter-themed land that's second to none. It's remarkable what they've been able to do there. They've taken that franchise and really run with it. They've created the Hogwarts Express to go over between the parks. And you have the other park now has Diagon Alley and some of the other things that, uh, that go on. And it really is pretty clever. And it's very, very nicely done and well-themed. And they're putting a lot of time and effort and energy into making sure that people come to their park. Where Disney, at least at Disney World, is not spending that energy feels like they're spending more of their energy at the other parks around the world. So Shanghai and uh, uh, Tokyo Disneyland and even Disneyland in California are getting a little bit more attention. And I think to a degree, when you look at it, you realize that Disney is kind of making this decision based on the fact that attendance is very good at Walt Disney World. And with all the Fast Pass Plus and all the other things with the planning, they're getting people to come there anyway. You don't need to put in premium shows necessarily to get people to come there. And I think that's kind of a double-edged sword when you look at it because, yes, attendance is very good, but at some point, don't you need some innovation or something really unique or a draw, a true draw, to get people to come in there? And that brings me around to looking at the uh, craziness that is the Seven Dwarfs Mine Train. Yes, it's the last piece of the Fantasyland expansion that came into place. And it's good, and I like the fact that you have the swinging cars and stuff, but I'm starting to see ads for it all the time, and it's kind of annoying in a way because they're advertising it like it's the greatest thing since sliced bread. I'm not saying it's not good, but it's just kind of interesting. Even this silly rap song that they put out with the dwarfs where I just kind of went, what? Disney side on the all new Seven Dwarfs Mine Train. It rocks. Now open only at Walt Disney World. It made me wonder just a little bit what they're up to. You know, what what are they doing when they're trying to uh, convince people to come there based on a mine train that lasts just a couple of minutes when you go through the go through the uh, the ride? It just felt kind of funny to me and a little bit forced. And especially when it comes to the Disney Channel, uh, we watch a lot of that in my house. The, uh, a lot of the characters from shows wind up going to Fantasyland and wind up riding on the Seven Dwarfs Mine Train. And, oh, wow, this is the greatest thing ever. And, you know, it's just, it's interesting the way they've kind of pulled it together. It's, again, it's not that I don't like it and it's not that I don't appreciate it. It just feels like you're not focusing on maybe the right things, right? You want to do something that's really creative and innovative and so different. And yet you're kind of forcing this one attraction into it. It's the last piece of the Fantasyland expansion. It's great. And it's really good, but I'm looking for something just a little bit more salient. I don't know, something that just has a little more substance to it. And maybe it's just me, and I'm being a little curmudgeonly or something, but it's just my opinion about the way things are going. 
Now, another thing that I've noticed recently, and I don't want this to come off as being, you know, like, oh, this is a bad thing about Disney kind of podcast, because it's really not. I just, I observed something that I wanted to point out, and that's that some of the new things that they're bringing up, some of the new attractions and shows that they're bringing out, and some of these hard ticket events like the Harambe Nights and things like that, or they're hard ticket events that are much more expensive than the previous hard ticket events they used to have. If you think about Mickey's Not So Scary Halloween Party and Mickey's uh, Very Merry Christmas Party, those were always hard ticket events, but they were affordable. Um, back in the day, they were like you know thirty dollars to go. Now it's much more than that, but it's not over the top, or at least it was in the last two years. It may go up this year. I don't know. But some of these other events are a hundred, hundred and twenty dollars a night uh, for the, to see the event. Now they include food and they have some special things and they put hard caps on how many people come in, and I appreciate that. But it just makes me feel like they're kind of differentiating in some way because it's not affordable for everyone. It kind of took itself out of that affordability range and became an extra premium thing that they've added on. And then coupled with that is this new thing that they've been offering where they have like concierge service that they're willing to offer. Now, I know some people who do concierge service who have nothing to do with Disney. They're just individuals who have a passion for it and they will take you on a tour around the parks and show you everything that you can possibly see. And they'll get you in and out of everything that you want to see in a day. And now Disney is going to try and capitalize on that themselves. And I get it. You know, you want to try and make it, give it that Disney touch. But it feels like now you're differentiating service. If you want to pay extra, you can get a front-of-the-line pass, or we'll take you around and we'll show you these things, or, you know, we'll do some different things for you. And it's a fairly expensive proposition to have Disney do this for you. Again, not that I'm trying to bash, not that I'm trying to be rude or anything like that. It just feels like they're starting to put that differentiation in place. And if you have a lot of money, you can get a different experience than somebody who's paying the regular gate price. And I don't know if I mentioned this on a previous podcast or not, but when I was up at the parks back in March, I did happen to notice that there was a uh, change that the Magic Kingdom had a different one-day pass price than the other parks. So it was a few dollars more to go to the Magic Kingdom because that's the premium park. And then I also noticed that there was some variable pricing going on. So at different times of the year, they could bump it up or down just a little bit, uh, depending on how many people are going in the parks. And I, you know, it kind of made me think to myself, this is interesting because Disney has never really done this before. It was always one price to get into any park, and that was it. And it was supposed to be affordable for everyone. And I realize you're getting more people to come in the parks, and that's good. But it just feels a little bit like it's, again, it's about this differentiation. And there's some things going on that make it a little bit different. Um, something else that I that I caught this week uh, on July fourth, Katy Perry, the singer, had a uh, party over at Disney World. So she had basically rented out some portion of Disney World for herself to have her birthday party and a Fourth of July party. And she did all these different events and had all these different things, character interactions, and so forth. And then she had a pizza party at Cinderella's Castle. Now we've been told for a while now that Cinderella's Castle Suite is only available to people who win a contest or have some special thing that goes on. It's a special event type thing. It was not going to be sold to anyone. That was the whole idea. And now we're seeing that Katy Perry was actually able to buy it and rent it out for the evening and have a pizza party there. And that's cool, but it changed the nature of what they originally intended. And now I think that's going to wind up being a premium thing that they're going to offer at certain times for the right amount of money. So, Again, just that little, you know, that little twinge in the back of my mind that says, wait a minute, things are changing a little bit. It's not necessarily for the worst. It's just that they're changing and, you know, that the rules change just a little bit. A little bit of money changes the rules. And it just feels like it's going in a direction that you, you can't come back from. If you're in a vacation club property and you're staying in the penthouse suite over at so-and-so hotel and you're paying this amount of money, why can't you do this? Well, okay, you can. 
So it just feels like, you know, now there's a, a certain level of expectation that's being set, and Disney will have to continue to raise the bar to get there. And what happens to the average guest, such as myself, who just pay the gate price to go in? I don't know. And since I'm on a little bit of a roll here talking about things that just kind of tweak me a little bit and just annoy me just a little, there's one little subtle thing that I've noticed, and this has been going on, I would say, since like the early 1990s, where Disney tries to save a little bit of money in the uh, amount that it costs them to produce a product. And instead of saying Walt Disney World on the product or saying Disneyland on the products, it just says Disney Parks. And it has a sort of a generic castle in a lot of the pictures or it, it just has something like that. And it kind of just irritates me a little bit because, you know, you're at Disney World and you're willing to pay that premium price and yet they don't produce a lot of products that say Disney World. And you're at Disneyland and they produce products and they don't say Disneyland. Even down to the ponchos that you get. The ponchos say Disney Parks. Yeah, I know it's cheaper for them to produce ponchos and have them be available at any park around the world. I I get that. But it just feels like, you know, you you want that poncho, not just to stay dry, but it's a little memento of your trip. And look, I got this poncho when I was at Disney World? Why does it say Disney Parks? You know, I remember when it used to be the yellow ponchos, the ubiquitous yellow ponchos, had Mickey Mouse on it and it said Walt Disney World at the bottom. And they were well made, by the way. Um, The ones that they make today are a little bit cheaper and maybe not quite as good, but they still keep you dry, and that's important. And by the way, if you didn't know this, if you ever have one that rips a little bit, you can take it back to any store when you're at the uh, Disney Parks and they will replace it for you. Hey, pretty cool, right? So there is still some good that comes of that. Uh, something that uh, that came up the other day, the Walt Disney World Railroad that goes around the entirety of the uh, park is going to be set to close for basically the entire month of October. They'll close it uh, sometime in mid, mid to late September, and it'll reopen sometime in early November. So it's basically closed for all of October. Now, the biggest reason for it is they want to make sure that they uh, they do the track maintenance, keep everything up, make sure that they that they do any maintenance they need to do on the trains. Uh, and keep everything in good running order. And I, and that's cool. I'm, I get it. It just, I think it was a little bit of a surprise to them because they didn't really plan it out. They just announced it like a week or so ago so that they would have the uh, the train down and they had to alert people, especially people who had booked the Behind the Steam Trains tour, uh, that they were not going to be able to take that tour anymore. So it's kind of surprising because usually they plan that up a little bit more in advance. Now, I do know that a few years ago, there was a small sinkhole that was discovered over by Big Thunder Mountain Railroad. And uh, it, was, uh, it was on the uh, train line, the main train line for the uh, Walt Disney World Railroad. And they were able to fill it and fix it, and you know, there was no issue. But I have to imagine that, you know, over time, there's probably been a little more settling, and they need to spend a little time and just make sure the tracks are all in place and set and everything else, and they can just make sure that the train is in good working order. So, unfortunately, if you happen to be making a trip uh, around Halloween, you won't see the steam train running. And I love the steam train, especially love the, to hear that whistle. That's the one thing that always lets me know that I'm at Disney World. Turning to FastPass Plus for a minute, they made a few tweaks to the system. Annual pass holders not staying on Disney properties can now book 30 days in advance. All you have to do is go to the DisneyWorld.com website, put in your pass ID, log in as yourself, and you can go ahead and book 30 days in advance. So that's helpful if you live nearby and you're planning on going in the next 30 days. You can book some FastPass Pluses for yourself. And of course, you can continue to check them up until the day you get there. Now, for me as an annual pass holder, that's really helpful because it makes it easier for me to be able to experience a few things before I get to the parks. Um, Part of my family, as you may know, is not annual pass holders, so we still have to go in that day day and book some of our experiences that day in the parks. Uh, They did also change the rules that guests staying at the Swan or Dolphin Resorts. Now, remember, the Swan and Dolphin Resorts are not actually owned by Disney, though they are on Disney property. 
uh, they can actually book their Fast Pass Pluses 60 days in advance. So there's a little bit more of a window there if you happen to be staying at those properties. So again, just go to DisneyWorld.com and you would put in your ID information and you'd be able to book your Fast Pass Pluses. There was a new thing that was added over at the Animal Kingdom, and that's a uh, velociraptor that actually walks around the park. Now, he's got his scientist that goes with him and uh, talks to the guests as he's walking through the park, and it's really kind of a cool thing. It looks pretty neat. I want to check it out myself and see what he looks like. The velociraptor's name is Val, and Val is uh, freestanding and uh, actually does some walking, and I think that's a, a pretty cool innovation that Disney came up with, and I really want to see what it looks like. There's another rumor that the Yankee Trader over in the Magic Kingdom, and that's the uh, shop that's right there on the corner across from the Columbia Harbor House on the path as you head over to the Haunted Mansion attraction, and in behind it is the walkway that goes up toward the Rapunzel area, just to give you the sense of where it is. So the rumor is that that's going to close, and that will be turned into a Haunted Mansion-themed uh, shop instead. So I'm curious to see whether that's true or not, because it kind of takes away a little bit from the colonial nature of that part of Liberty Square, but I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. Of course, the Haunted Mansion is technically in Liberty Square. I think they just need to find a way to kind of re-theme it so that it works in context, so it's not just a Haunted Mansion gift shop. It's got a little bit more theming to kind of fit in with the colonial era in some way. So it'll be interesting to see what they do there, uh, assuming that's true. And while I'm at it, there was a change that was made kind of subtle over at several of the hotels. And that is you can check into the hotel before you even arrive at the hotel. If you happen to have a, a magic band already, you can go ahead and do the check-in before you like take your flight. That way when you, get to the, when you get to the hotel, all you have to do is leave your bags with the bellhops and then go on up to your room. They'll, get, they'll give you a confirmation of which room you're in. You go up to the room, you use your magic band, and you just go right in. You don't have to stop at the desk. You don't have to talk to anybody. You just go in. I'm curious how this will actually work, especially if you don't have your magic band and you're visiting for the first time in a long time and you want to get there, you'll still have to get your magic bands to be able to get your room key to get in, but you don't have to stop at the check-in desk. You'll just be able to talk to a uh, cast member who's standing outside the hotel who will say, are you checking in? And they will take care of you right there. Well, I guess since they send you the magic bands in the mail, it's really not an issue, but there are the last time I was there, there were cast members standing outside and they were actually uh, checking people in, sort of, so they were sort of just reviewing the itineraries with people who were about to check in, so they didn't even have to go to the front desk to check in. Now, of course, this has led to some speculation that there will be a reduction in force at Disney World because they don't need as many people working in some of the hotels. You don't need as many check-in people. You don't need as many bellhops. It changed the nature of some of these things because they'll just go ahead and pile everything up and then take things to people's rooms as they get to them. Disney says it streamlines their process, and I agree. It does. But I'm not sure what it does for the guest experience. Part of the fun of the guest experience is interacting with cast members. For me, that's one of the coolest things. Whether I'm staying on property, off property, or, some, or anything in between, the fun part for me is interacting and talking to cast members and just having a good time and just shooting the breeze. I mean, yeah, I'm an old-time cast member. I get that. And maybe I see things a little differently, but that's part of the charm of going to Disney World is actually talking to cast members and being engaged and interactive and having some fun. It loses something if you just kind of get off the magic, Magical Express and then go directly to your room and you never talk to anybody. It just sort of misses that, that high touch, and I think that's really one of those things that Disney does well. But if you think about the um, Disney Vacation Club experience, it's more like that. It's less like checking into a hotel. So I think they're trying to streamline that process so it's a little bit more similar regardless of where you're staying. One other rumor that I heard that I thought was kind of intriguing... The Pirates of the Caribbean, Big Thunder Mountain Railroad, and the Haunted Mansion 
are slated to have a photo installed at some point during the attraction. So at the end, you could purchase a picture of yourself on that attraction. I imagine that if you're on the Pirates of the Caribbean, they'd probably add a pirate into the picture or something. If you're on the Haunted Mansion, you'd probably have one of the uh, hitchhiking ghosts in the picture or something along those lines to make it a little bit more interesting. But they want to have the photo experience included as part of these attractions so that you could add that to your uh, experience. And if you're purchasing the full PhotoPass Plus package, then you would have that and be able to use it, and these would be included in that package, and you could remember all of the attractions you went on. So, you know, I think it's kind of cool. I'm just hoping that they find a way so that it doesn't detract from the attraction. I mean, one of the things that I find annoying in some cases, like you're riding the, let's say, Buzz Lightyear Space Ranger spin. You get to the end, and the cars all turn, so you're facing the camera, and, you, you know, you see the bright flash of light, and you know your picture's being taken. It's nice, but I prefer the kind of Splash Mountain approach where you're at the precipice there. You're about to fall, and the picture's being taken, and that's kind of cool, you know, because it's part of the experience of the ride. Whereas other attractions, I don't want that to be the main focus of the experience. I want it to be something different. But we'll see. We'll see what Disney does with it or even if they go forward with it. So here's a useless piece of information for you. I was talking to a cast member over by the uh, monorails, and we were talking about uh, whether anyone would be able to ride in the front again. And the short answer is no. After the accident a couple of years ago, the uh, monorail was reclassified as a public transit system. It used to be classified as an attraction, which meant that people could ride up front because it was the entertainment value of, of having people ride around. But they changed it to be uh, a public transit vehicle, much like a, um, uh, uh, an airplane or a uh, bus or anything like that, where you have the yellow line or you have the cockpit that separates out the, uh, the passengers from the crew. And it's the same principle now that they've applied to it, so that way no one can ride in the front anymore. So that'll never change, and I'm sorry to say that you'll never be able to ride in the front of the monorail again. And that's as a result of the, uh, the accident that happened a couple of years ago. Uh, when the NTSB came in and they investigated and they found that there was probable cause in the whole thing about what happened, they made a determination that it is a public transit system. And to avoid government oversight into it, to keep the government out of the whole picture, they actually decided to change the classifications. They'd have a little more control over it. So there you go. Now, of course, the monorail story doesn't quite end there. There's a little more going on in and around the monorail. One of the key things that's going on is some automation work that's being done. Now, they've set a schedule for some updates and enhancements to be made over the month of July. So this, the monorail ran on a regular schedule to make sure that there was time to do all this work uh, after hours and when the monorail wasn't running. But the idea is to make changes to the monorail so that it actually has a faster load time, that they can switch more efficiently, that they can get the monorails in and out of the stations a little bit more effectively and so forth, and be able to control them a little more. Given the accident that happened several years ago, I think this has been on the drawing board for a while, to more automate the process. I would argue that ultimately their goal is to get rid of the driver in the monorail and make it a fully automated vehicle. Now, in the short term, I don't think that's going to happen. I think there's still going to be a pilot in there. And actually, even after they automate, I think there'll be a pilot there who's got his eyes and ears on the system in case there's any problems. But in general, I think the automation work is going to happen such that it makes it a little more efficient and that uh, there's less work for the pilot to do other than overriding the system if necessary. So what can you expect to see? Well, the control booth at the Transportation and Ticket Center will be replaced by a more automated control booth. Right now, the, the signals that appear on the, on the console panel really just tell where the monorail is. I believe they're going to have a more automated and sophisticated computer system that will say where the monorail is, how far away it is, what beam it's on, and so forth, so they know exactly which color monorail, where it is, and what it's doing. Uh, so they have its speed and everything included on there. 
Also, uh, the other thing they're going to do is add uh, little wait time indicators so that they can put a little sign up that says the next monorail will be arriving in some something like you see in some cities around the country today with your subway systems or your bus systems where they uh, tell you what the next arrival time is and when to expect the next train. So I think there are a lot of little things you'll see as a guest and maybe some other things that you may notice as you go through it. But I think the key thing is that they're moving to the point of automation where it becomes a driverless system. There are plenty of examples of these types of systems around the country. And if you automate the whole system and you know exactly where everything is, you avoid any problems with switching or doing anything else. It's all done by computers, and it actually makes it safer in the long run. So they do talk about increasing the safety of the vehicle among all the things that they're doing. I'll provide some more details around this the next time I go and I see something that, uh, that's interesting. I'll let you know what I, what I find out. But in the meantime, I think that's what's kind of happening with the monorail at this point. It's all about extending out the thought of making it a safer vehicle and making sure that the transportation happens seamlessly and getting the guests to the destination a little bit faster. With the way the system currently runs today, there are uh, problems with the system and sometimes there's an um, indicator light that goes off at the wrong times or the monorail has to slow at a certain point and have visual contact with the, with the monorail somewhere else. And I think you know that slows the entire system down because there's the human element involved. And that's a very positive thing, but I think Disney has an interest in making it more autonomous so that way it can just move along and you can more efficiently get to your destination. And finally today, I'd like to pay tribute to a man who passed away recently. Casey Kasem was a voice actor who did a lot of different things in his life, and one of the things he did was the, uh, he played Shaggy in the Scooby-Doo cartoons in the 1960s and early 1970s, and that's kind of a claim to fame in its own right and kind of cool. But more than that, and on a personal note, I used to listen to American Top 40. That was a Casey Kasem-produced show where he would take Billboard's Hot 100 songs and take the Top 40 of them and play them back and talk about each song and a little bit of history of the artist and some other information about it. He'd have these different features he'd do uh, within the show. And what struck me about it was his style, the way he approached things, the way he told a story. He'd have stories to tell. He'd you know, do these dedications. He'd do all these other things. And it was, it was the storytelling that really compelled me to listen to it. The songs were nice, and you know, I'm in high school, and I'm listening to them in the 80s, and yeah, I enjoyed listening to the songs. That's great. But for me, it was much more than that. It was about the stories he was telling and the way he told them. And it inspired me. And part of the reason I do this podcast today is because I always wanted to have a voice to be able to tell stories kind of like he did. So I'm, I'm kind of fascinated by what he did, and he kind of inspired me. So I wanted to mention that and uh, pay tribute to, uh, to Mr. Kasem. Now, he did want, have one connection to uh, Disney, and it's very slight. Now, if I'm pronouncing this right, he was born Kamal Kasem. And he changed his name at some point to Casey Kasem. He kind of put the emphasis in a different place. He was a Lebanese-American-born citizen. And when the movie Aladdin came out in the 1990s, Kasem led a group of Arab-Americans who took on Disney and, and essentially petitioned Disney to change the way that they were depicting Arabic characters in the movie. They thought it was a little more stereotypical than it should be and didn't really fairly portray the uh, Arabs in the film. So Jafar and Aladdin and everyone else really weren't depicted fairly. So he, uh, he actually led the group that did that. Now, for its part, Disney did listen to him and the group. Uh, they made some minor tweaks and changes, but they really didn't make any wholesale changes to any of the franchise. But it did bring attention to uh, the way Disney was actually depicting characters at that point in time. So I thought that was kind of interesting, and there is a slight connection there to Disney. But other than that, Kasem worked uh, for other groups and never actually did any work for Disney. But nevertheless, he inspired me in a, in a way, and uh, I wanted to uh, pay tribute to him by, say, by signing off today. Uh, Casey Kasem had a famous phrase he always used to say at the end of the American Top 40 show. 
So as I start my exit music, I'd like to leave you with Kasem's famous tagline. Keep your feet on the ground and keep reaching for the stars. Thank you for tuning in to the Disney View podcast. Now, please exit the moving podcast. The walkway is moving at the same speed as your podcast. Kindly take small children by the hand and watch your head and step. If you have questions, thoughts, or would just like to ask Dave a question, please send an email to davesdisneyview at gmail.com. You can always find Dave's Disney View on Facebook, Twitter, and Pinterest. Show notes for this podcast can be found on DisneyWorldPodcast.net. Original music you hear in this podcast is courtesy of Sound A Music. You'll find a link to the latest Disney-related autism awareness event on the show notes page. We also encourage you to check out Dave's iPhone apps. There are a couple of Disney-related apps, including a Hidden Mickey's app and a pin trading app. 